Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Once I played a penny who just couldn't stop the beat Yes, with roller skates on her feet loved to please Of course it's recently to see Welcome back to Breaking Broadway. Today, I'm really excited to welcome my friend, Doug Cohen. He has a new book out called How to Survive a Killer Musical. And he is talking about a musical that he wrote, No Way to Treat a Lady. He's also written The Big Time, The Gig, Glimmer Gas, Opposite of Sex, which we worked on together. He's been nominated for two Outer Critics Circle Awards, Drama Desk Awards, Richard Rogers Grant. Um, welcome to the show, Doug Cohen. Thank you, Carrie. Great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thank you so much. So I have not finished your book yet, but I am loving Thank it. Um, and I'm always encouraging people, p- performers even, to right to create their own work. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be fun for you to share. Well, the thing I love about your book too is this musical, No Way to Treat a Lady, how long ago did you write it? So I started it in 1985. I was was four at the time. (laughs) 1985. And I love that you you kept journals from that time. Religiously. Yeah. Yeah. I was... 
And so it's really fun going back in time and seeing how you felt in that moment. And you have like amazing people in these readings and to, to look back and see like, oh, Jason Alexander, he, he did yes. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there were Nancy Opal, Mary Testa, Steve Bogardus, Liz mm-hmm. Calloway. And then this. And you have all stories about them throughout the book, which is so fun, and about their audition processes. Yes, yes. Um, and also just some of the best directors that existed in the industry, uh, starting with uh, Jack Hofsis, who was the first uh, youngest director ever to youngest person to win best director in a pl- for a play, which was Elephant Man, who was 28 at the time. Um, and uh, that whole section is, is very, um, it, it's, it's filled with a lot of drama as well because uh, Jack, soon after he gained all the success, uh, was on Fire Island and dove into a, a pool and uh, broke his neck. And the, our show was the first show that he did in New York uh, after he was uh, a quadriplegic. So there were a lot of uh, challenges, obviously health challenges. Um, but then I worked with uh, Vivian Madelon, who may be unfamiliar to many of your listeners, but he won the uh, Tony Award for Mornings at Seven, the first time that it was revived on Broadway, which was kind of like lightning in a bottle. They, they always talk about that show the way they talk about Follies. And, uh, and he... Um, he also went on to direct the Tap Dance Kid on Broadway and Brigadoon with Martin Vidnovic. And he had a wonderful career regionally. Um, and then I also worked with Lonnie Price. I almost worked with Jerry Guterres. You know, there's uh, there was a, a myriad of great directors, but it's also a glimpse into that whole period, that very fertile period in the 1980s when we had Playwrights Horizons and the Hudson Guild and MTC. And they were all kind of hitting their stride at the same time. And uh, there was a lot of creativity going on in New York. I usually like to start my podcast um, just hearing people's backstory. Uh, Like, how did you decide that this is what you wanted to do, that you wanted to be a composer? Did you always know? Like, did you see theater as a child? I think most people who gravitate towards composing also wanted to be a performer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you uh-huh. know, because the two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, I had a nice singing voice. Uh, before <laughs> before I went through puberty, I, I uh, was always, you know, singing and performing and got into shows. And after, after actually, my voice changed. I did a lot of performing in college. But there's also that moment when the rubber re- meets the road, right? And uh, when you realize that you may not have quite the trajectory you were hoping for, uh, in that particular facet of your career. And that happened for me when I was at the College Light Opera Company on Cape Cod, Falmouth. Uh, we did nine shows in 11 weeks, and I maybe had three supporting roles the whole summer, and the rest of the time I was in the chorus. And that was a sobering experience. And all during that time, I started writing songs. I found somebody on campus, you know, in the company, uh, Howard Kuttner, who now goes by Eric. And he was like the Lorenz Hart to my Richard Rogers. And we were (laughs) writing songs. And when somebody had a birthday or somebody was leaving the company, we'd write a special song. And uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, this is something that I could get, I, I, 
I could go the distance, maybe not the distance, but I had more mileage with this particular skill. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel like I had some control over my life. Does that make sense? Totally. That's what I always tell my students. I'm like, you know, as a performer, you're always powerless just to that. When is that next audition coming? Then when is, when is that next job coming? It's never, there's never, um, you never have control really over it. That's why I encourage more people to write and create their own work and find other things that they love so that, uh, for their mental health. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and during the pandemic, everyone was shutting down, you know, and there were no auditions. Yeah. And and it's a lot of people were saying, how, how are you coping? And I said, well, you know, it's really no different in many ways yes. than what I normally go through. You know, I just sequester yeah. myself in a room and, and hope that the muses are kind and, and create. And uh, so it was like a two-year period where I could just kind of focus on that. And out of that came this book, among other things. So that's wow. that was kind of cool to be able to say, okay, the pandemic led to a book. <laughs> Had you always wanted to write a book? You know, I think when I look back on my life, I guess I always wanted to be a published author of some kind. I, I wrote children's stories, uh, children's books, manuscripts that nearly got published um, I, uh, I'm the son of a rabbi. Uh, my dad wrote two books and I helped wow. him with the second book because he was at, by that time, 95 and it was very difficult for him. He just survived COVID and we were preparing it for this publisher. And, um, so I knew that process somewhat and I knew the heartache that came with it because he was forever, uh, trying to interest publishing houses and, it's a really arduous task going through that. Um, but it didn't impede me in any way. I, I felt so focused on this one task. And it's something that I, mm-hmm. I think I attacked it the way I attacked getting the rights to No Way to Treat a Lady. Yes, which I definitely want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you... Wait, so but back, back up yeah, for a sure. second. So you were a performer, which I never oh, knew. Yeah. Uh, and then did you go to school for composing or did, was it just a gift that came to you? I played by ear at four. Wow. At four years old, I could pick out the sound of music on the piano. I could pick out any song I ever heard on the piano. Um, wow. But and playing by ear is a, it's an enormous gift, but it also has its downside because I didn't want to read music. Why should I read music? Uh-huh. I hear the music. <laughs> this is all superfluous. So I was very lazy when it came to classical mm-hmm. music. And if I had, you know, we always berate ourselves on the what we should have done. But if I could go back, and I'm not saying I want to, but if I could, I would have <laughs> taken my classical lessons much more seriously because that's where you learn technique. And, and right. that's, if I had done that, Carrie... I would be a really good music director today because I have mm-hmm. the instincts, I have the musicality, but I don't sure. have the technique. And I think that's very mm-hmm. true of anyone who is pursuing something seriously is you're given the gift, but you have to establish the technique to support the gift. Yes. Um, so I didn't choose that route. My grandmother was this amazing 
technical pianist. She was a concert pianist. She was the first woman in Philadelphia to get her musician's union card. And she supported her sisters and her mother, who was who had been widowed at a young age. They they had to emigrate from um, Edinburgh when my great grandfather passed, and they came to Philadelphia. Uh, It was that or South Africa, but they chose Philadelphia. And she, Mm. instead of working, you know, as a seamstress, which I'm sure she did, and her sister did, she made an income with the piano, playing for silent movies, playing for radio playing in concerts, accompanying students. So that was something that I grew up with. Um, I, I witnessed her until the age of six when, uh, it's is a downer, but sadly she had a terrible stroke. So it, it wasn't mm. after that time, but enough had, had processed, you know? And so mm-hmm. that was my inspiration. And then I just took it to the next level. Um, as I say in the book, the weird thing is... <laughs> I came to composing because I wanted to increase my part in a play. I was I was cast in Hansel and Gretel, and I really should have been Hansel because there were three Hansels, and my God, you know, the, the odds are you're going to get cast as Hansel. You have, I think I had the better voice, but um, <laughs> I, when I told my teachers that I was disappointed that I was made the Sandman, they said, but that's the hardest song in the show. And it was. <laughs> it was a very difficult song, and it was a, it was definitely a solo. So rather than just be content with that, I thought, you know what the show needs is a narrator, someone who opens the show, who engages the audience. And I wrote a song for that narrator. And these wonderful people, Mrs. Murray and Mrs. Tuit, uh, encouraged it and allowed me to perform the song. So that was my first oh, taste right. of, right. of composing. And how old were you then? So fifth grade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. So see everyone, it's never too early to start writing your own material. That's right. When you're cast on a Broadway show, you should definitely bring your own material to the composer and lyricist <laughs> and say, you know, Mark Shaman, Scott Whitman, I, I have the song that I think would be great for Penny. And yeah, that would really endear you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you create your own stuff. <laughs> but if you're in middle school or grammar school, it or even as an yes. adult, you create your own work, you know, that now you now you have your shows that you're not even in. Right. You just enjoy you just enjoy the creative part, I love right? The creative part. The creative part is probably I mean, you will hear this a lot of times from writers, and it is true. It is the best part. There's nothing greater than when you create something and you're really proud of it before other factors come into play and sometimes undermine or take the show in a direction that you hadn't expected. Um, there's also a great thrill when it, they go in the right direction. I'm not, I'm not saying that everything that uh, is fully produced, uh, sometimes it's, it's beyond our expectations. Yeah. So tell everyone um, about how you got the uh, rights. Um, your musical is based on a movie. And, technically, it's um, based on a book that became a movie. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was a movie when I watched it on a small black and white TV. This was the middle of the 1980s, right? So color TV was around, but I didn't have one. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I was doing laundry and I saw this movie. And for many people, I guess your audience may not be familiar with the movie No Way to Treat a Lady, but it had a great cast. I mean, it had uh, Rod Steiger and Lee Remick 
and George Siegel. And Rod Steiger won the Oscar six weeks after this film was released for In the Heat of the Night. And I think this film mm. was the thing that pushed it over the edge for him that year um, because he gave such a protean performance. But it was also filmed in New York on location in some of the most amazing places. Like you actually see Lincoln Center being built Lee Remick, wow. Lee Remick plays a tour guide and you see the Vivian Beaumont rising. <laughs> wow. And uh, so I love this movie. I thought, wow, a frustrated actor looking for success and trying to get headlines as a serial killer. That's hmm. sign me up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, then there's this Jewish nebbishy cop, uh, Detective Morris Brummel, known as Mo Brummel, which is a play on words for Bo Brummel, which unfortunately is a reference that a lot of people don't get today. But anyway, he is assigned to the case and he lives with his mother and the killer is haunted by his dead mother, who was a great stage actress who belittled him. So you've got these two men who are both seeking, you know, approbation and, and acceptance. And they're both, uh, on the same trajectory, but they're on opposite sides of the law and they have this symbiotic relationship and it's really fertile territory and there's a love interest and there's comedy and there's suspense. So I just wanted the whole smorgasbord and that's what I went after. Mm -hmm. And, and tell everyone, so if everyone out there, you know, if you have an idea, if you see a movie, um, that you want to turn into something, um, it's a little bit easier than it is now than it was for Doug. But tell everybody how you did it, and yeah. also who the who the yes. writer was. Well, I don't know if it's easier now. I, I'm not sure. I mean, in some ways, I was very access is is more available, but that could be a bad yeah. thing. And th the reason it's so tricky now, Carrie, is because as soon as a film is successful. Right. You have yes. major producers who are already lined yes. up to present it with their right. choices of who's going to musicalize it. So you have to look for the obscure. But if you find a yeah. small, yeah, if you find a small film that like nobody wants, then, even, which which Hairspray yes, was at yes, the time. You're right. It was. It was like a little shop of horrors. It was, you know, yeah. that sort of third tier, even though it didn't deserve to be. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, I saw the movie. I did not have any of my film books with me. I was a movie buff, but they were all at home. And I called my parents and uh, I said, could you look up and see if there's this, if anything is in the film books that would suggest that this was based on something? Because going after Paramount Pictures was daunting. And my parents mm -hmm. called back in 10 minutes and said, uh, here are the list of credits. And, they, and my mother said, and you'll never guess who wrote the novel on which it's based. And I said, who? She said, your friend, William Goldman. <laughs> William Goldman was not a best buddy of mine, but I had met him. I actually <laughs> knew him because he had come to see a show that no one saw in the village. I have a young audience, so tell them who William Goldman yes, so, is. Because you would know his you movies. You would totally know his movies and his novels. So William Goldman wrote The Princess Bride. Princess Bride! I, mean, I don't even need to say anything more than that. He wrote no, The Princess no. <laughs> Bride. He did the screenplay for the movie. He um, wrote Marathon Man, which you should check out. It's amazing, with Dustin mm -hmm. Hoffman and Laurence Olivier. He wrote Butch Casting the Sundance Kid, which oh, is yep. on my list of the top 10 best movies I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. I love that film. Um, so he has two Academy Awards. He, he wrote All the President's Men, the screenplay. Uh, he had he's written a number of books on writing for the film for film, mm. including Adventures of the Screen Trade, which is a must book for anyone interested 
in film, writing for film, or just someone who enjoys movies. Um, he has an uncanny way of, of expressing himself. And uh, so he had seen this little show in the village because he knew one of the actors. And I met him when he was down there. It was at, on Jane Street. Um, and uh, I already had a rapport with him. But I didn't. It wasn't a slam dunk by any means. And in mm -hmm. the book, I detail just how difficult it was. But didn't you look him up in the phone book? Yes, I did. So I did. He was, I mean, people were in the phone book. His address was in the phone book. I mean, you know, <laughs> apparently no one was stalking anyone in 1985. And he didn't, he didn't, rem did he remember totally you remember. when, oh, because he, 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 did he, he saw something he of saw yours, right? He saw this show in the village called This Week in the Suburbs. Steve Flaherty did the vocal arrangements. You know, Steve and I met mm. in BMI yes. the first year. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Susan DeLalo, also from BMI, was, um, was the lyricist. And we had this cast of four people. Do you know Ron Orbach? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I yeah. think so. Yeah. He, he was uh, in the producers. He was uh, one of the cast members. And this lovely young actress named Terry Berenger, T-E-R-R-Y. And she was friendly with Eileen Goldman, Bill Goldman's wife. So they went to see her. And that's how I met him. And then I wrote a letter, and then I heard nothing. <laughs> and then I called. That's when I went to the phone book and looked him up and called. Yeah, yeah. We'll be back with Breaking Broadway right after this message. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're skipping around a lot, but... um. I forgot to ask you how you um, ended up getting work as a composer. Like how, because you, you joined those. Um, yes. How did you get into the BMI and the, the workshops? You have to audition. You have to audition for BMI. Um, but, but so did you study composing then? Like at so any point the or did in, you just start in writing? In college, I was a double major. I went to Amherst College and I was a double major in drama and music. You would think oh. that those two departments would be hand in hand, but they had nothing in common. They, mm -hmm. they didn't even know what the other one was doing. Um, so I actually took a lot of English courses. I could have been an English minor. I enjoyed it very much. But when I was at college, I, I did like to compose and I took one course at Smith College because we were in the five college area. We could take a course in any of the five colleges in the valley. And I took a course at Smith in composing. And that was really great. And it was the first time that it actually had a professor who would be able to understand and uh, help to uh, encourage that gift. Um, and so when it came time for my senior thesis, I decided I was going to uh, 
write an original musical, which was pretty brazen, oh, you know, considering yes. I, did, I did a little one in high school uh, to a, a mm -hmm. Russian folk uh, tale called Wonder Goose, but that was it. I mean, before my big full-length musical, which I based on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it was there was a twist to it because I had been a pianist vocalist in clubs all from the time I was 16 to the time I was 22 on Cape Cod. And I wanted to write a show about the duality that I saw that existed in these clubs, in these you know lounges. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was called Dr. Jekyll and the Mr. Hyde Bar. And uh, mm -hmm. that was my senior thesis. And I wrote the whole thing and I also was in it <laughs> and I directed it yeah. and I produced it. Amazing. I know I had a small part, but I, I played the pianist vocalist. <laughs> uh -huh. and, uh, and so from that, uh, that was my first taste of actually writing and experiencing that process. And uh, it was a Herculean effort, but I really did enjoy it. And I, I was eager to explore that so that when I went to New York, I auditioned for BMI, I auditioned for ASCAP. I took two um, courses at the 92nd Street Y. One was taught by Carol Hall, who wrote The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. And the other was mm -hmm. taught by uh, Carolyn Lee, who wrote the lyrics to Peter Pan and um, mm -hmm. Little Me, and was writing Smile with Marvin Hamlish when oh. she passed away. So mm -hmm. he, he then jettisoned the whole score and wrote with Howard Ashman. You're Howard Ashman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually, My. I hope I answered your question. That's that's where I learned craft. It was at BMI and, um, and ASCAP is where I debuted No Way to Treat a Lady. And so then No Way to Treat a Lady um, was doing really well, right? Well, I got, I mean, the whole, the deciding factor was ASCAP because William Goldman was reluctant to give me the rights. He had reasons for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't see it as a musical. And he kind of said no to you and you just kept going. Yeah. yeah. He, he said, I can't discourage you, but I can't encourage you. And I saw <laughs> that as a yes. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say that that is so important for anyone listening to this show is, yes. you know, there are times when people say no and we, Mm -hmm. Carrie, you and I know about a particular situation where it was ultimately a no. Um, but right. I also believe in the powers of persuasion. I believe in, in the work. I believe that if you have a vision, you need to pursue that vision. And even if ultimately it ends up you don't get the rights or you don't get that door open to you, you have to make the effort. Because as mm -hmm. Frank Gilroy one of the great gurus of my life, he wrote The Subject Was Roses and The Gig, which I musicalized, said to me in one of our last conversations, you can control the effort, not the results. So you have to make the effort. And at the end of the day, it is what it is. But isn't it better to have tried? And also, like, the stuff that you learned from doing that. You apply. You'll be able to... Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are tons of shows that are written in BMI where people never get the rights. Lynn and Steve, Lynn Aarons and Steve Flaherty, their first show mm -hmm. out of the box was Bedazzled, right? We were asked in our second mm -hmm. year to, to write a musical. It could be anything we wanted, original or an ad adaptation. And the adaptations are usually misguided because you never get the rights. Well, they got pretty far. In fact, 
they got the attention of who I forget which studio had controlled the rights, but ultimately they were doing a movie remake with Brendan Fraser. So they didn't get the theatrical rights to it, but they got Mm -hmm. so much attention and they were in the big BMI showcase and that led to them getting their first agent. So that's really an important factor is that and for those for those of you who don't know them, they wrote Ragtime. Yes. And Once on this <laughs> Island and Anastasia. Yes. Yeah, all those great hits. Yes. Um, so yes, and and they learned a tremendous amount and they applied it to their future shows, just as we all do. What do you want to tell us about the journey um, that the book goes through, you know, like with the show? Well, there are some harrowing parts. I mean, there <laughs> There truly are. I mean, there are parts where uh, there's an actress who's nearly stabbed to death. I mean, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't get to that part yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, it's it's um, and another actress later falls on the stage, and there are three more performances left. They cancel the one that night, and the last two, I step into her shoes. Into her high heels. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Wait, was this before or after opposite sex? It was sex? before. So I was, I was, a, oh, I because... was a veteran by then. <laughs> okay, so we have yes, to tell have our, to. our opposite of sex story. So we did opposite of sex together. We did it in um, Magic Theater, San Francisco right? at the Magic Theater, and then we did it again in Williamstown. Right. And when you do these little little theaters, you don't have understudies. Yeah. And this has never happened to me before, but I got laryngitis during Williamstown and like nothing would come out. It wasn't like I hurt my voice singing. It was just some kind of virus that landed right on my cords and nothing would come out. We were going to have to cancel the show. And Doug said, well, I well, it's not well, quite okay, me, tell me because Roger, okay. Roger Reese called a meeting. I don't think you were there for that. So Roger Reese, no. who was, oh my God, the greatest greatest guy the greatest. wasn't he i mean an amazing yes, actor so he won the tony loved for nicholas so nickleby i mean i've never met anyone and the nicest nicest such heart, yeah person such heart. yes um so yes. he said uh he got us together rob roth rob robert just roth who directed mm-hmm. *Beauty and the beast was directing mm-hmm. opposite sex we both came down to the theater i remember he we were on stage with him he said we shouldn't have to do this we have only two weeks of performances we shouldn't have to cancel a show I know Carrie can't sing, can't, can't sing, but she can be there physically. What if you, Doug, provide the voice <laughs> for Carrie? And, you know, he had heard some of our demos. Early on in the demo process, uh-huh. we didn't have you, Carrie. And I had right. to do it myself. And um, I guess mm-hmm. he kind of knew that there was that history. And he said, it's very exciting. I mean, this is theater after all, you know, to hear the writer providing the voice. So uh, that's when it was decided. And I wasn't sure. I mean, I really wanted the show to go on. We all did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I felt fine. So I wanted to do it. I just couldn't speak or sing. But I knew your performance so well. You know, I I right. heard you over the years, not just from those two productions, but we did demos. Um, so I knew yeah. every inflection and nuance there was. <laughs> yes, yeah, 100%. It wasn't a particularly yeah. original performance that I gave, but it was your performance, and I think it worked. And there's yeah. actually one critic that was on Curtain yeah. Up who reviewed it that day yeah. 
and gave us a good review. Oh my gosh. <laughs> people people have have told me that they were at that performance and they loved it. And it was like I was mouthing the words and and your voice was coming out of me. Yeah. Um and so it was really exciting I think for the audience. It was. Definitely was. Uh and they made an announcement just saying that I, that you were stepping into my voice, yes, <laughs> <laughs> like like Ursula and, and the Little exactly. Mermaid. <laughs> but I did have precedence um, for that with No Way to Treat a Lady. But I actually embodied the entire character for that production wow. at Cahos. Yeah. So I don't know if you know Kathy Marath and uh, Adam Grouper. You know Adam. You must know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ray Wills. They were all in the cast, and they saved me because it was really. Tough. I had to do all the staging. I mean, it was it was crazy, but wow, got through it. Good yeah, for you. Thanks. Team team spirit. <laughs> so anyway, there's been a lot um, of drama associated with the show, and it it's not just a collection of an- a- anecdotes. It's there's a real journey involved. This is oh for this sure. This is a quest. Yeah. Make make no mistake. It, it's really my coming of age story. It's a quest. I think it's very much like an Odyssey, like a Don Quixote, battling windmills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a real um, it has a, a real structure to it. You'll see uh, towards the end that it really does come to this place which feels complete. And you know that's the whole thing is Jason Alexander, who was part of this very uh, prominent part of the early journey of No Way to Treat Lady, was one of the people who also was kind enough to give me an endorsement. And he said, you know, it's really about the journey, not the results. And and I know people say that and it gets kind of cliched, but it's really true. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Carrie, isn't it like those things that sometimes don't come to fruition are just as important to you as the ones that sometimes, yeah. you know, make all the headlines. And for sure, and that process, you know, being in, in the hairspray mm-hmm. workshop, I mean, must have been an amazing right. process. So by the time it, it opened was. on Broadway, I'm sure it was a thrill, but it's like that was the experience. You know, and then what came yeah. after was another kind of experience. Right. So creation, again, yeah. creation. But it's also where we define, how we define ourselves, how we define success, uh, and how we take away something from the process that is healing and allows mm. us to go forward with our lives. And the, and the that. people that impacted us. The And, and Goldman is the one that, was the MVP for me, William Goldman. And yeah. it's, there's a poignant ending, you'll see. But um, And your show, No Way to Treat a Lady, that show never made it to Broadway. It had all buzz yeah. surrounding it to go to Broadway, right? But it still has a life now, oh, right? That's the other thing is that I yeah. talk a lot about the middle ground. You know, we mm-hmm. always talk about people who are the great success stories and then the ones that are part of the, you know, <laughs> the bombs of Broadway, you know, the ones that uh, mm-hmm. grace the walls of Joe Allen. But very little right. attention is paid to the middle ground. And I'm in the middle ground. You know, I'm someone who does mm-hmm. my job. I get rewarded yeah. now and then. I get these productions on. I'm not a household name. I haven't had that big Broadway success. But there are quite mm-hmm. a few people like me as writers yeah. and as performers in every aspect of this industry. We need the middle ground, right? It's like we found out we need understudies. Julie Benko Mm -hmm. is a star. I went and saw her (laughs) Tuesday night before uh, it closed. I was supposed to see Leah, Mm -hmm. full disclosure. Uh She wasn't in it. And Julie just blew my mind. 
unbelievable performer. So that's the thing is that, and hopefully now she's no longer in the middle ground, but even if she were always to be in the middle ground, that's a yep. beautiful place to be because her contribution yeah. just changed our, our afternoon, evening, whatever, our lives. Um, so this is about people uh, that occupy that place and I'm sorry, I've now gone so with Julie Benko. I forgot what your initial question was. No, no, you were you were you were saying that now it does have yes. a life. So it has these 200 performances, productions, productions, all productions. all around the world. Um, I, I've been to one at Borgia Varezzi, uh, which toured as Serial Killer Per Signora. They changed the title. Um, mm -hmm. I've been to one in uh, Germany in uh, Saarbrücken. Um, They've been in uh, Barcelona, um, one of the Tony Award, equivalent to the Tony in Barcelona. Uh, three productions in the UK, including two in London. Uh, so it gets done a lot of places. I just came back from Edinburgh. It was in the Edinburgh Festival. Um, and uh, I came back with COVID. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> you know, so anyway, it's just to show you that um, these shows have a life after New yeah. York. And um, and we, people around the world have experienced it, even though it may not be foremost on your viewers' minds, listeners' minds. And you are, you're living the dream. Like you are making a living as an artist. And, and that's kind of what I say to my students and, you know, to this audience, like it's called Breaking Broadway, but my goal has always been just to be a working, working actor. Yes, exactly. Um, it's not always easy though. I have to tell you, I mean, it's, it's really not as simple as yeah. saying, oh yeah. So, um, all these productions just were able to pay the rent and all those other things. Um, it doesn't no. work that way. Unfortunately, I had a couple productions that were very, very lucrative, um, very remunerative, but for the most part, a lot of them, uh, you know, are smaller venues because it's a smaller right. show and it has mm -hmm. played very well in larger venues, but many times they'll want to choose to do Jersey Boys, you know, or, or something mm -hmm. uh, even like 39 Steps because it was on Broadway. So uh, that's the unfortunate part. But then you have to supplement and you have to figure out that's other right. things. And all of us and do that. I, I did a, I did a whole series on supplementing the income yeah. because all up we're like, you know, as actors, like we go years without working. That's right. That's right. You and it's not it's there are day jobs, there are survival jobs. That's supplementing and that's mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. valid and wonderful. Uh, if you can't do that, then you find other ways and I one of them was my my teaching career, um, which is mm -hmm. still ongoing, but um, you know, for 8 years I taught uh, uh, song interpretation at the neighborhood playhouse. I was, I would write shows for them. Oh, that was the other thing is that it was so mm. interesting that when I was there, I, um, I didn't want to do Legally Blonde. You know, they had done that. Mm -hmm. They'd done mm -hmm. excerpts from Legally right. Blonde. I got to know these students so well. I knew how to play into their strengths. And at the, mm. at the uh, end of the six months, I would write an original script that had a plot and that mm. utilized their gifts and uh, they became those characters. And I used uh, the Great American Songbook and I used songs from like everything from, you know, 1925 to uh, 2020. Um, and Bill and Hillary Clinton came to see our last show, the last show I wrote. And, and, and wow. President, President Clinton said, I like this, it had a, had a good story. 
Wow. Yeah. So it's, that's it's, a great compliment. It was very nice. But um, anyway, that's that's something that has given me a lot of satisfaction and also was able to help with my income as well as private right. coaching too. Um, right. So you do what you can to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to, we're going to hear more from Doug in the next episode where we're going to find out about his behind the table advice for performers coming in, auditioning for shows. And um, he has a lot of info on those workshops, the BMI workshops and ASCAP workshops. So stay tuned next week. Thanks, Doug. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Gary. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a masterclass or a talk back, please reach out at carriebutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast and want more episodes, please go to bpn.fm slash breaking broadway and subscribe, like, or share. Together you and I are breaking Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.